0: i am Sam mitchell these are my stories hi folks having a good day today let me be the first to welcome you to autism rocks now before we begin i must that i am not a doctor or psychiatrist if you're starting to be diagnosed with autism please see a physician at least based on my experiences i also don't own the rights to these music both muses were found on youtube and were published on december 2015 and march 2012 I also have some shouts to give. So the first shout that I must give is to the Bostics. I want to say thank you to my karate teachers, Mr. and Mrs. Bostic, for joining me on my last episode. If you want to join ATA, Bloomington, Indiana, they are the people to talk to. It's C129, A Black Belt's Journey, for more information on that. I also must give a shout out to some of the people I met on a virtual speed networking conference. I want to give a first shout out to Diana Ashworth. Check out her book. It's called Diana Ashworth: My Story. She is a business coach. It has the, quite the story to tell about her recovery to addiction. The next one I must give to is to Cindy Vallone. She introduced me to the program Best Buddies, which is a program about how someone with the autism or a big disability will meet with someone else and you guys can become friends. Another one I must give is to Jeff Harry. He got me connected with Podit and Podmatch, which are two amazing sites that I need to check that you should check out if you are getting started in the podcast world. I also must give a shout out to Alexandria Ruse, who is doing her best to get me on the Ellen show and to have my all-time favorite wrestler on my show, Mick Foley. Hey, f- if you write to both these people, we might be able to get it happen. I also want to give a shout out to my new friend, Maria a- Adele. Recently, I participated in a Speed Networking conference, like I said, and met her there. She's a special education teacher and has a 7-year-old on the spectrum. She is a coach of human design. She helps people be the best they can and works with them on how they are internationally designed. What a cool job, and I can't wait to collaborate with her in the future. Everybody, we are excited to welcome... My guest today on Autism Rocks and Rolls, my guest, Peter Lance. He lives in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Mr. Lance does does a design work for video games, creates art, and even codes. This is an ability that he has because of autism. Having autism has helped him focus, be motivated to have his dream job. I am so excited that you are here with us, Mr. Lance. Welcome, and how are you today? Doing great. (laughs) That's awesome, man. But before I forget, I also want you guys to go learn about him more. If you want to learn about him more, go to the website, peterlance.com and actually i'll put on there below and you all could learn more about him so now my first question to you is what does having autism mean to you
1: oh that's a tough one i didn't even think about that ever <laughs> you know i think i always viewed it as um i do view it as a disability um in my case but uh, i always thought like maybe it was the reason i was my brain was the way it was where it has high powered left and right sides but I think ultimately, like, I always have viewed it as a, dis- like, I think I've started to see it as like, oh, it is a disability, but um, I always viewed it as something like God gave me and um, to kind of help relate to people a little better. And, you know, ultimately, as my, as that one interview you probably read about me, I do view it as, you know, a tool in that I can focus and um, my work on computers is a little easier because I don't get impatient. <laughs> puts you in that position where instead of your mind working around all the complexities of life or their ups and downs, you know, you're just laser focused on an environment where everything's really stable, which is what computers are. It helps you understand them a little better, I think, in that way. So um, (laughs) I I don't know if this is accurate at all, but that's what it means to me.
0: It sounds like you use it just as a tool to motivate you more. What else have you used that tool for other than gaming? What else have you used... As you said, it's a tool. What
1: else do you use the autism tool you could say for? I think it makes you, I think just probably due to the fact that it required my parents to like invest in having a speech therapist for me. We did a lot of exercises where I'd have to put myself in the shoes of another person. And really what we do is I'd be given a short story every week and um, I'd have to read through that short story then I would have to rewrite the whole story from another person's point of view. And Ah. what I think what ultimately that caused me to think about a lot is, you know, putting myself in another person's shoes. And I would say naturally, I'm probably not somebody with a sense of empathy, but I think through those exercises, I learned it maybe. I think also uh, the biggest symptom of my autism I can think of is you know m- maybe I don't have any like weird habits that like really stand out but what I do have is this um this thing where I'll just disappear in group conversations, and I just become unnoticed and um it becomes much easier to listen I think and to just learn more about other people because you're no longer talking about yourself you're only listening to other people and I've had a lot of people in my life that do ask about me a lot and they really direct the conversation in that direction it's real, like you know I <laughs> the chance to be in the spotlight but that's kind of what autism will do is put you in a listening position a lot so
0: yeah you're just on the spot a lot and it, you just you just don't know what to do
1: <laughs> what were your initial thoughts when
0: you learned that you had
1: autism you know it's kind of funny so my first my very first thought was like I started crying because I was like do I have a dis like so there's something wrong with me like is this sort of like you know is this sort of like being in a wheelchair or something like I was I started crying and then immediately afterwards I think I was kind of like I, I grew up being told I was smart like I didn't have people that told me I was dumb all the time I had people telling me I was smart <laughs> um, so I was kind of like oh maybe that's the reason I'm smart like because I have autism um, or like maybe God gave it to me for a reason. Well, sometimes I kind of wonder, maybe I would have been smart without it. But and really I really shouldn't say that because I think smart people recognize how dumb they are. So <laughs> I bounced back from it, just accepted it really fast. You know, I knew it was a little different. You know, everybody is, but I was always told that, what do you think? What when you, when you believe that there's a plan for your life, it's easier, I think. And maybe I had a sense of security that doesn't normally come with that.
0: Yeah. When you know what you want to do, life treats you a lot easier. So how do you think our brains operate?
1: I have no idea. <laughs> I think um, I think technology is starting to work its way towards figuring that out, you know, but, um, but, you know, really, I don't know. <laughs> I, awesome. I've heard um, the autistic mind that, the problem it brings to the table is your right and left sides not communicating with each other, and as they're, like they're kind of like rewired a little bit, and as a result, you're you tend to count your brain tends to take completely different routes than other people, which can make you really funny. Yeah, because <laughs> the whole thing about jokes is it's when they put two things together that don't normally go together. That's what makes a joke, and so you tend to be a little funnier as a result, um, and that, that can lead to unique ideas. So. You know, I can use that, but I've heard that's how autism works. And I also know that I have a harder time making decisions as a result of my autism, like the frontal lobe area is impaired. So where other people would have an easy time making decisions, I don't. It's hard for me to work at a grocery store, staring at aisles that need work done. And there's no clear cut solution to like, oh, what if you're dealing with an item that's, or the package is broken, what do you do with it? Like what's the procedure? The, wait, there is no procedure. <laughs> yeah, I truly don't know how brains work though, and I, even science doesn't know. They don't, it doesn't know the whole picture, like as of right now. So, but it's very dynamic, and I know that much. Brains change,
0: <laughs> even though we don't know. I will say those are um some good assumptions though. Even though we don't, we do what we want to do, and with you saying that, we don't. We do make decisions a lot slower than someone else who just knows what to do off the right off the top of their head. So I can definitely understand where you're coming with that. What would you say would be like the most rewarding and most difficult thing about having autism?
1: I think the mere idea of being weaker, like having a really obvious weakness is probably its greatest reward. I you know when, when you deal with with people who you know there's there's a lot of conditions for the mind that are bad like whether it be personality things or bipolar or schizophrenia is anything like you have more empathy for that because uh, you're living with an issue with your mind. So I think understanding weakness is probably a good reward in its own and having the empathy. Um, I think also like the, those weaknesses make you a lot stronger and that while I might be slow to think like to make decisions, you know, usually I'll make the right ones or at least better than normal decisions because I have to be sure before I make them because otherwise I physically can't make them because I don't know my mind just doesn't jump to being like go this way I have to have a logical explanation in order to make a decision otherwise I'm just uncomfortable and see those are the greatest rewards of having it I think
0: Carrie Underwood song says the best. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, or what does kill you <laughs> makes you stronger. I can't remember how it goes. Now, was there a difficult part, or do you think that it's beautiful as a whole?
1: Oh, I think it's difficult. I mean, the world's broken, so I don't think you can ever really look at the world and just call. I, I don't think the the word beautiful probably like describes it accurately. But my point of view is very Christian, and so it's the Christian point of view yeah. <laughs> of this is that um you know, the, the world got screwed up. But what's beautiful about that is people like people in general tend to trample over broken things and only go for the things that are working. But what's awesome about God is he can take what's broken and make it like whole again, or even stronger. Like he can take what's broken and like make it the greatest
0: yeah, or like, fix what, it
1: up. like the weak will become strong and the strong will become weak is kind of, it flips the world on its head. And I think that's, that is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I do think, I do think autism, unless it's something that our brains are naturally designed to do, unless that's a quirk that's built into our code, I think it is a disability in the end. But, you know, why not use the, why not use the things that result from in the process? I guess that's kind of how I view it
0: now what's would be like some advice you give to someone who just learned they had
1: autism uh ooh, ooh. i don't know if i have a good i only have generic answers for that i don't know if i have any good ones <laughs> um, i remember i feel like a common reaction to it is it become also becomes like the focus of your life you know it's kind of like the thing that defines you <laughs> and i don't know if that's really like what it should be but it's kind of natural when you find out something new about yourself it's kind of like that's major you're like oh this defines me now like this is i'm gonna like get comfortable with this and tell everybody i have this um i guess there's nothing wrong with that but um yeah i don't know (laughs) i I don't know that's interesting though you said that
0: it's not like it shouldn't be like the most thing should it be like a part of you period i mean maybe you don't be like hey i got autism but like <laughs> but like you know, it's,
1: okay. it's 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 okay to on? tell that you know that you have autism that's in fact like when i go to jobs i will tell them i have autism like i'll tell my superior just know i'm like this like it's easy it's easy to overwhelm me um i might say things that are way too blunt you know <laughs> which will offend you uh Like I have this thing, just, just know I have it and you'll understand me way better as a result. Like, but the only thing that comes to mind really is just trusting God, you know, and that's, that's, it's a very, that's the generic advice, but there is a lot of security in that, I think, and that you have this for a reason. The reason that's generic is because it's a very simple concept that applies to almost anything. It's always the simplest stuff that's hardest to learn.
0: Yeah, I hear what you mean. Yeah. simple it's so simple yet so complicated I always say that and I firmly believe that statement yeah they also talk about God a lot How's he saved you as you say
1: I don't have like a, a testimony that's dramatic like where you know I, I like did drugs going through high school and stuff and like turned to Christ and my life turned around you know I wasn't I didn't I don't have a story like that but um I think I focused on that a lot because well one of, was just important, like logically, my mind is like God's important, He made me, and you know, what's on earth doesn't matter that much. But I think, in terms of the ways He saved me that I could see in my life, um, <laughs> other than the whole salvation thing, um, I think the times when I felt like I was truly alone, those are the times when having God on your side all of a sudden becomes 10 times more important, where uh, like emotionally, where it's kind of like in the times when you're truly alone, you aren't actually alone he's just always there and his presence is always comforting and I can't say I've ever been alone in my life as a result um like there's a time when I, I say this at the risk of making my parents look bad because my parents are probably the people I look up to in terms of being selfless well, um, cool. but there's there's a time I made them really frustrated because I would do this you know just for multiple reasons I exasperated them um, like one I was the classic like, am I really a safe thing like growing up? Because I was I didn't really understand Christianity. And there's also this thing I would do where every time we ate out, I wouldn't eat the food because I was worried my parents were spending too much money on eating out. So I was exasperating them. And they got so frustrated with me. And every conversation I had with them would <laughs> result in a heated argument. And they couldn't make any progress with me because I was like, they weren't addressing what my mind was stuck on and um or they just couldn't because i'd always think of another variable and had to had those variables answered to be calm and so basically like and it's not like my friends would understand it's not like a non-christian would understand nobody understood and ultimately nobody really does understand you in your life like the only person who understands you is sort of yourself and then there's god so <laughs> um, yeah, so those times when I was like alone and kind of like in my bedroom, sulking, you know. Well, if it makes um, you
0: feel any better, I understand you. So you talked about game developing as we talked a little bit. How did you learn about
1: it? Well, it's interesting. We'll, we'll find out. All right. So from the get go, you, you probably read my article, but I'll say it. I'll repeat it again, in case the for the sake of listeners. Um. So I always grew up like playing around with, like, game ideas. I was just obsessed with games, like. Autistic people, they get obsessed over singular things like taking apart door handles. Yeah, I can relate to that,
0: but continue. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so try it, like me and my friend would um, do this thing where we would try and like create video games on paper where we have all these rules. And actually, I would like to thank him for showing me that because that was really fun. And we had these things where we'd like draw our houses and you could buy like items for your house that you just draw them in and for a certain amount of currency. And you play board games, or you play games with dice. So it's almost like a really primitive Dungeons and Dragons maybe, but it's had an artistic twist on it.
0: Art of the Dungeon and the Dragons backstage.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I found a Dungeons and Dragons was a thing, and that's pretty awesome. And then I also mentioned this in the article where I would often go on Microsoft Word and play with the, all the sh- like 3D shaped tools they had where you could place little shapes on the document. And you I basically make a little circle and I navigate it through whatever like landscape I made with the shapes. And if there's a tunnel, you'd, you know, have a little shape overlapping the circle, <laughs> so it looks like the char- player character is walking through it. So, you know, I didn't have access to any game development tools, but I was still trying to make games in a weird way. And then Game Maker came along, and a friend showed me it. We couldn't figure it out. And then another friend showed me some games he made with it, where he basically swapped out images. Like he made a little Pac-Man game, but he swapped out like Pac-Man with something else. And so I was like, kind of like thinking about a lot, being like, "Wait, I think I understand how this works." And asked my dad if I could download it because you have to ask your parents about everything when you're growing up. And <laughs> started just going crazy, building games in Game Maker, learning how variables work. Um, that's coder term. Don't worry about it. If statements. Started like developing my art style in it. And then during high school, shortly after I learned about my autism, I, we went to a tech school and I learned graphic design there. So I learned my Photoshop and Illustrator, but there's also this program called the 3D graphics. Uh, oh, I think it was just called Game, oh my gosh. as a digital animation and game design. That's the name of my program at college. Okay, yeah, I went into that, learned my 3D tools, learned about Unreal Engine, Unity, also learned programming in the tech school. So my tech school basically introduced me to the idea that this was a valid career and, you know, there's a lot to it. And it also fit me like a glove. And, you know, I went to college and I really pushed hard to get into college doing this type of stuff. Even when my parents were like, will this make you money? Because growing up, this is another God thing, but I have to bring it up. Yeah, I, want, I guess I want to bring it up too, but I have to bring it up because it is important that my parents pushed against me. They wanted me going to software development because it's like, hey, you can support a family with this money. This is a career everybody's hiring in. And I really pushed against that like stubbornly because um, growing up, I had this fear that I wouldn't be able to find. I wouldn't be able to do a job that used my creative mind that I would enjoy. And I prayed about it. Like my mom like showed me, hey, just trust God with this. And I think we, we might have prayed about it. Maybe we didn't. But during my time in the tech school, I realized while I was doing 3D art that it was exactly the same type of stuff I was doing when I folded paper shapes into 3D shapes. Because I was a thing I was obsessed with is I was doing coding. I was doing just everything that I naturally did growing up. And I was like, I need to do something 3D related. Like, this is what got put on my plate. I'm going to go after this. <laughs> like i don't know where it's gonna go but i'm gonna go after this and so i was stubborn enough and they let me go to college doing that and here i am now doing it for well, I was doing it for a living i just exited my job to make something for myself
0: exactly man i understand perfectly <laughs> like you just wanted to you wanted to do what you wanted to do and not you know what your parents said i mean i'm not you didn't weren't like hitting the hammer down but you just wanted to try something like you want um. to god
1: was kind of like, that's where the paved right. road is, I guess. And I want to go this way. I want to go this way. I want to go this way. Like, this is where I'm supposed to be going. I want to go this way. So um, totally, I, I did, I did sort that. of, I'm a very stubborn person. So yeah, I think my stubborn side definitely showed, but I like to think that being stubborn isn't a bad thing, I guess, if you're using it right. I can agree with that. This all needs to come with a big disclaimer that like my parents were awesome. So <laughs> I totally get it. It's it's just when you're telling your life story sometimes, you're kind of like, I think you always bring up the conflicts, you know, and the way they raised me probably made me the person that went the direction I went to, but that stuff's always mundane. You don't ever bring it up, so.
0: It's okay. You can bring it up here. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) What steps go into developing a game
1: and what's your favorite part of it? I think that's an unanswerable question, actually, because... Why is but that? I, I, I can give you some insight though into it. So, I, it, one time, there's a YouTube show called Extra Credits. I don't actually really watch it, but they described it perfectly in that when you're developing a game, it ends up looking kind of like Lego pieces strewn across the floor. And that um, there's just so, like, you, you think it's just like, oh, you design the game, you create art, and you program it. And that's all the steps there are to it. And then maybe if you're thinking about it a little more, you'll add the business end to it, like marketing. But in reality, each one of those steps compounds in complexity and just keeps unfolding to more and more steps that you would never, ever think of in a million years. Like, for instance, the font, like text displayed on the screen, you have to make sure it will show Chinese characters and stuff by like combining multiple fonts together. <laughs> So I'll tell you about Castle on the Coast and how that was developed in general. So first, there's a prototyping phase usually where you're developing a game. And um, that's where you as a coder tend to screw around with like really basic shapes with the player character. And you just make sure that the game mechanics like the bread and butter of the game work. And is fun to play with. As a rule, if a game is fun to play with with zero artwork in it, it will be amazing to play when the artwork is added. If it sucks to play without artwork, it will still suck even when the art's put in. (laughs) The gameplay, the saying is, gameplay is king. It's not the whole picture, but it is king. It determines the direction your game's gonna go. So there's prototyping. um, If you have artists on your team early on. You can have them prototype the artwork by making like a game without gameplay, essentially. And then later on, you can merge the prototype with the artwork and what art style, I guess, if so the assets aren't reusable and have yourself a fun game. <laughs> so Castle on the Coast had a prototyping phase. And I don't know how much you know about the game researching me, but it's a 3D platformer. So you have a little character that jumps around collecting things. And... I went through about three different rough drafts of level, level designs while building the game each time kind of learning more. So we're still in the prototyping phase and the levels looked really bad. They're all made of like poly, like really simple shapes. It was all gray, but each time I was building a level, I was like actually trying to build the final level of the game, like the final area where you actually play. Maybe it's like the first level you play and yeah, um, that would actually be in the final game and every time I failed and I think I realized in the process I was still in the prototyping phase that whole time so once you're once you done the prototyping phase and you kind of understand how your level design should work and how your character moves around whatever your game's about onto blocking out the whole world that you play in and it still looks really junky but that was my plan because if you focus on art too early you end up cementing decisions and can't change them later so I made this whole really janky world and then one by one each area I went through printed out screenshots of it and drew over it and then made 3D artwork on top <laughs> and then spilt 3D artwork and replaced all the jankiness and watched the game like crazy because I was given a whole bunch of extra time at my job and now we have Castle on the Coast. <laughs> So
0: that sounds like a really twisted, but cool process.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I described it very well, but if you're going to take one thing away from that, it's that game development's very iterative. Like it's not like a process where there's a one, two, three step process to build, building a game. It's very iterative. It takes like retries of each step till you you achieve the final goal. And I think that tries to do a waterfall method where it's like you lock in certain phases and you treat it like oh first you have the designers then you have the programmers then you have the artists do their thing you'll end up with something very generic or that just isn't fun to play yeah so game yeah game development you have to be comfortable iterating and you also need to you know place importance on the right things like me i was trying to place a focus on gameplay i didn't like just immediately jump into making art that looked really shiny and then attempted to make it fun afterwards. That's kind of the recipe for disaster. As you said, that's not like a process. Do you like
0: there not being a process about it? Or do you think that's a challenge for you?
1: I I think I miss the days when I worked a job and I was told what to do. And I worked a job where I have to tell myself what to do. But I think all in all, it's more fun long-term because like, what what can you compare this to? I think it's really fun essentially being like Batman where... (laughs) start developing gadgets for different situations because they're challenging situations to deal with like yeah I enjoy the process that's the answer I enjoy the process got it I enjoy I enjoy being the guy I I pride myself in this and that I am the guy you could hire on a team that would sit down and really think about the production process for building a really good game I'm not somebody who specializes in art. I don't specialize in coding. I specialize in the production process and can do a little bit of everything at the same time. You just do everything at once. So there are some people like that. (laughs) I've always been kind of worried I won't be able to get a job because I'm so like such a generalist. But I don't know. Maybe I could be a prototyper. (laughs) Maybe.
0: So you once talked about how the quote, love was the only rule. What does that quote mean to you exactly?
1: My way of breaking it down is that it's a hard one to understand, but there's a Bible verse that I think you'd be in on it and what it means. And that is that like, God is love. So when you hear a statement like that, you always kind of wonder, why is that? Like, that seems like a really weird thing to say God is. And I think what it means is like, this is what I think it means. I'm not a theologian, but I'm not God either. So (laughs) I might get it wrong but you know it's very like he's very orderly he's an orderly being and we we look at functional families like functional anything there's always a sense of like love between people and you know all of creation out there like all of nature i'm not gonna try and convince people to be creationists or evolutionists just everything out there it works off of order at the end and even when it's chaotic you know like atoms could be viewed as very chaotic but they snap together in really orderly ways throughout that chaos like I think that's why love is the only rule is because love by its very nature is orderly and everything out there is orderly and if you don't follow that rule you'll end up with a lifestyle that isn't desirable so (laughs) yeah I think that's kind of what it means to me that's a very like cold analytical way of saying it, but that's, yeah, that's what it means to me.
0: I never would have thought how the world could shape with with love and or being the same sentence. So actually that's really enlightening, I must say. It really is.
1: <laughs> and I, I, I kind of like stripped the quote, I think from my company's <laughs> um, Daniel Bryan Advertising's like mission statement, like love is, like not mission statement, but set of values. But I think when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's a really good quote. the <laughs> like, role?
0: Gaming, you've also said, gives you the power to focus. So how does it give you the
1: power to focus? Oh, did I? Wait, did I say that? You did. Wait, wait just a second. I did. I think what I meant, if I said that, I think I must have messed it up. What I meant to say was Asperger's does. <laughs> um, so I'll, do, I'll, I'll tell you what, why Asperger's gives me the power to focus, maybe. Uh, sure, we can do that. I think that's why. I, I think that's I met when I said that. You know, actually, I, I don't know why Asperger's gives people the power to focus. It might be that, like, when you're sensitive to noise, like not noise, but a lot of different stuff happening around you that overwhelms you, I think you tend to be a person who focuses more. And, you know, there, we also have like obsessive bent. So that really aids me in developing games because you're the process of developing a game isn't fun always. It requires you to focus on like one tiny minuscule piece of what makes a game up for a few months at a time and play the same game over and over and over again, which really motivates me to make it fun, <laughs> um, by the way. So, yeah, I think I think autism, because you're sensitive to too much input, you naturally focus as a result. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean,
0: I agree. I mean, you said, as well, I think your your point is, Val, because when there's so much going on, we don't know what to do. We really don't. When there's so much movement and movement, twenty four seven, it's too much to handle.
1: What's What's interesting is I think everybody. Uh, the more I develop the games, the uh, and like have run play testers through my work and see how they get confused. I I've come to realize it's not a. I think like Asperger's people react more to that issue, but it's actually a pretty common. I feel like everybody has that same problem, but we have a more acute version of it like every no matter what people will get like overwhelmed if you throw too much new stuff at them it's yeah only but we're only...
0: limited <laughs> or
1: every freaks out when they're exposed to an environment where everything is new to them and nothing is explained but like i think i think we react to that more strongly it's probably it's probably pretty involved how it all works but i've seen a lot of people react to my work being like this is this is too much for me to handle and i think that's probably because i sat down and listened to them and tried to figure out what was causing that to happen i think castle on the coast probably turned into like a much better game (laughs) as a result of like having those experiences with people
0: so you i'm gonna talk about this miscellaneous task you say because you said that you like do like you have the power but you focus on something so big you tend to like not do the, the miscellaneous task how could we should do like the, oh, yeah, the yeah. big project or the task ahead or the thing that's yeah. assigned to us instead of the miscellaneous task first cuz i totally agree with you <laughs> i totally agree we should do the thing that's assigned first then do this mini thing like clean up dr pepper thing wait it's
1: I'll, <laughs> I'll show you my room like where i'm where i'm staying right now like I, I realized after moving, I have too much stuff. And um, right before moving, I think I started cleaning up my act a little bit and handling all the random junk in my life because I was like, I have this huge project ahead of me, and I want my life to be as orderly as possible going into it, so that I can focus on the big project. So right now, I'm trying to like sort through my clothing and like get rid of stuff I don't need anymore that I just never wear. I, hear <laughs> uh, you. but yeah, yeah, miscellaneous. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of other people struggle. you want to focus on the thing that yeah, we want to focus on the big stuff that we're comfortable with, and as soon as we walk outside of that zone and try and touch taxes and stuff, we get scared. At least that's my problem. But that's probably my experience a lot. It's hard for me to deal with real life and all the little details that have to be handled in it. So my (laughs) I have advice for that if anybody wants it. Like just write it all on a list and just focus on getting the list done. So now you have a basically one task you're dealing with is getting the list done <laughs> and it's out of your head. It's on paper. So yeah. yeah. We want to focus on the big picture. Wait for
0: this little baloney to mm-hmm. move ahead, you know, like go along. So I can, <laughs> I can totally relate. So you also mentioned that you don't, you're not the best at eye contact and I'm not either. Believe me, I always tend to look this way for some reason or that <laughs> way. So did eye contact yeah. ever get you into trouble when you were younger? And how did you improve it?
1: You know, I, I can't think of a single instance in my life where a lack of eye contact hurt me. Yeah, it's it. Has, actually, hasn't maybe other people have had like parents that are like maybe a angry old person <laughs> being like, hey, you young man, you need, to say, you need to keep eye contact with me and they keep slapping you or something. But I've never had that.
0: I always find myself <laughs> talking to the floor. So I I can totally relate. I'm always like,
1: I, I've always been worried. About it. You know this. I always kind of worried people think I'm dishonest because I don't look them in the eye. But most people would tell me that most people. I've been playing Among Us a lot, and when I play with people, they keep bringing up that I'm a terrible liar. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, because I just don't like lying.
0: <laughs> so. So you also mentioned about choosing your words carefully. And I had to do this too. So I could totally relate to this because I'm always scared. I'm going to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Wait. I'm going to say the right thing at through the wrong person. It's just the, those certain fears. So I could totally relate. Why do you think that people with autism or you and or people like us have to choose our words carefully? And seeing one of two honesty versus bluntness because that'll be a good episode just for you all listeners.
1: You know, I, th- I think it's always good to choose your words carefully. Like it's better to talk less so like so i think it's always good to choose your word carefully like make sure each word that comes out your mouth is worthwhile instead of talking for the sake Vomit. of talking and <laughs> instead of <yeah. laughs> don't keep don't the words out i think there's definitely i will say um something that might be out of the ordinary is when you're upset and you talk to somebody else who's as upset like it's good to like stop and realize like the what 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 things you tend to do when you're upset like do you tend to accuse the other person a lot do you tend to shift blame to the other side like stop like snip those buds at the root and maybe just say like just refuse to say those things that you really want to say refuse to
0: acknowledge the bad thing that's going on right now well
1: no it's not that it's you know in an argument both sides are always wrong is the thing like both sides have messed up that's always true in an argument i mean there's such a thing as like confrontation if somebody has a drug problem or something (laughs) i I keep bringing up drugs a lot even though i don't have experience with them but good example but (laughs) and the other person may be dodging everything you're saying because you're like bringing up something that's really hard in their life to deal with but that's not exactly an argument that's an argument is when two people are yelling at each other actively trying to hurt each other with their words and it's good to recognize when that situation's happening and just realize if you're going to stop the argument, you have to acknowledge what you did wrong and try and understand what the other person wants, you know, and get them what they want. So, and then yeah. the cycle will stop. Like yeah. arguments look like two snakes eating each other. That's, that's what, I, that's the anatomy of argument. So yeah,
0: I can see that when you get to know someone, you just know it. You just know it so well. Can you name a memory where you were too blunt and honest and maybe actually hurt their feelings and you didn't like realize it or you did and you were like
1: oh shoot I'm sorry I'm sorry. You know I don't know if this was the wrong thing to say at the time but it's probably the most marked story I have where while I was in school yeah you know what this might be a good example. Yeah this is a good example. So while I was in college I was always this ambitious kid trying to like put together big projects. My, one well, of my schemes, I don't know, it sounds bad, but I'll I, was, I was call it a scheme. I had this scheme called Project Tower, and I was going to build this game with a friend where we plays, the, we plays the two of us trying to climb up this tower filled with puzzles and stuff. And um, the tower would, like, launch into space, and it turned into a completely different type of level. It was crazy and but we ended up scrapping the project and stressed out who there's this this guy uh, this really gentle guy who wanted to join our project and like do illustration work for it like kind of help design like draw some of the textures that would show up in the game and we in particular we tasked him with creating designs for book covers i think there might have been book platforms or just books sitting in library shelves that had covers on them. I can't remember which. I just know I wanted him to design book covers. <laughs> and I wasn't happy with his work. Like every every, every time he showed me something, I, d- I noticed that I never felt a sense of order to his line work or like his design choices. It felt kind of like just slopped on there. And um, I think what happened, how it went down when I finally told him this was we were talking on the phone, I think, or maybe through Google Hangouts. And we're reviewing his work. And I think I kept dodging, like bringing up anything negative about stuff, just being like, trying to point out what I think should be done differently. I was being very gentle and nice because I didn't want conflict because I'm somebody who tries to avoid conflict. And eventually I th- I think it kind of came to the point where he just needed to know what was wrong. And I sat down, I, I, I just, flat out told him, like, I can't sense any order in these, in your line work. Like, I can't sense any order in these drawings or any thought behind them. I was, like laid it out really flat and really blunt to him. I think I remember hearing him crack up a little bit, like he's almost started to cry a little, a little bit. <laughs> And um, actually after that, he disappeared from school. And like years you later, his feelings I don't know what. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. i well, it wouldn't have, you know, I don't know if I did or not, but I remember what happened was he came down the case of, what what's the fear called when you're afraid of the outside world? Um, It's not xenophobia, that's something different. Yeah, is it I don't know either. It, is it called that though?
0: Outer fear, we'll call it that, outer fear.
1: Yeah, well, I think xenophobia might mean something else, but it was... Yeah, it was he was afraid of the outside world. And he dropped out of school, he moved somewhere else, I believe. And I I think he like lost confidence in his artistic abilities. And what really sucked about that whole situation is I honestly believed he was like, of all the students in our class, he was the one showing the most improvement, like, and so I was always kind of wondering, did I shatter his confidence or something? Like, should I have like, layered my words with compliments, you know? Like start with a compliment, give some honest critique, and put another compliment at the end. Instead, it felt like what I did was I just threw a get good <laughs> I'm afraid, like blunt critique at him yeah. and didn't reinforce the sides that were working in his work, you know. So I always kind of wondered, did ever this guy's life partially when when that happened? And you know, it wouldn't be 100 percent my fault because. I was just one blip in his life and people in general shouldn't respond that hard to one blip so I'm assuming there's multiple things going on but you know if it was I feel I feel pretty bad
0: I'll <laughs> I feel pretty bad did.
1: I got I got in touch with them um, years later like my one of my friends tracked him down like hardcore like happened to this guy because he just disappeared from social media and finally found like, like where he was and got in contact with his dad and we uh we sent a few texts between each other like through my friend Has I said I, I apologized to him saying like I'm really sorry like if I hurt your feelings really bad back then and he was very positive um like when he responded saying like he learned a lot So it made me feel a little better that there's some closure to that. But when you're telling somebody that they need to improve, you know, always make sure they feel good after you're telling them that stuff. Don't just, the the problem with always mentioning the bad things is if a person will
0: become personal.
1: Well, if you, if all you hear is what you're doing wrong, you don't like, you start to believe that all you can do is wrong stuff. And, and you also, and for the things that you're doing right in your work, um, you know, you're never getting any feedback that it's working if all you get is negative feedback. So, you know, po- a mixture of positive and negative feedback is necessary to grow as an artist. And when you're giving negative feedback, you always want to make sure you mention what you liked about the work, like what to expand upon, not only to make them feel better about things, but also so you get better work. You want to reinforce what you're liking. So <laughs> there's a very logistical reason to owe it to give positive feedback in addition to emotional
0: i would definitely agree with that and i'm just saying let me say you're a good man for avoiding confrontational i'm not saying i'm a confrontational person i'm just saying that it's a hard thing to avoid sometimes
1: yeah maybe it's not true i mean my parents probably feel like they're walking on eggshells with me but yeah maybe it's not true but i didn't want to hurt his feelings i think it was ultimately the problem I, I snapped from not wanting to hurt his feelings to just being like, oh, I need to be honest to get any progress with this person. Or like, I need to be honest and shut up. <laughs> I just smashed him in the face in the opposite direction out of nowhere. And that's how it happened. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I hear you. I, I can definitely relate to that. So you also, I learned, um, did homeschooling. So why did your parents choose homeschooling instead of a uh, regular school?
1: You know, I'm not sure actually. I need to ask them about that more because they started homeschooling with my brother who's neurotypical and I never really thought about that till recently and asked them about it. Hey Dad, why did you guys choose homeschooling? Two reasons. Okay. One was uh
2: but never taught, went into banking instead. And we had some friends that homeschooled their kids and they were we really liked their family life and the way the kids could have talked to adults very comfortably and they got along with each other very well and we realized that only talking to people your same age group is not normal in society you need to be able to relate to other
1: age groups are you are you hearing all this yeah i heard it okay That's
2: what
0: he said right
1: yeah yeah what he said he's my dad by the way
0: <laughs> and, and secondly the public
2: schools are a little bit anti-Christian and uh, created problems for me when I was young and uh, we wanted our kids to have a more well-rounded
1: background. Uh, correct me if I any part of this wrong but I think both my mom and dad like recalled um, basically being brought up like being taught that science and religion don't work with each other and like just that whole mindset as all, all the time they went through school that as they learned more the I'm getting this right it was the uh, was the problem like the whole thing with like science and religion not like being always taught but like lo- logic yeah. never really...
2: evolution was the fact you never brought up any of the other evidence against yeah against it and the older i got the you know i didn't have any reason for not believing it. i just tended to dismiss christianity without looking at the evidence
1: yeah i, I always bring up i'm not here to like convince people one way or the other but like i think yeah that is definitely like a reality where you know you'll, you'll just get taught one one perspective and have every other perspective just toss out the window it's always the the non-christian ones it's always the ones that are very like anti-christian it seems like my parents like became christians later in life not not growing up so they they've had like a little bit of both perspectives I'd say I probably can't say the same for myself but in college I, I I think I got the like the evolutionary perspective a lot, but I think something that's frustrating when you're going through college is uh, nobody ever explains evolution <laughs> or, like in a convincing way. <laughs> they, they always kind of just make this assumption that you should just believe it right away. <laughs> I was mean, I, kind of, I was like waiting for somebody to like come to me and be like, like, tell me convincingly why you believe this and never really got that. Um, like I, I was like, kind of like waiting for that challenge to my faith, you know? Um, cause you, you need those challenges, you know, you need to, in order to be confident where you stand, you need to have your viewpoints challenged. So,
0: yeah, I, I can totally understand that with having your viewpoints. I mean, sometimes you change your mind, sometimes you don't. So I can definitely <laughs> understand that. So you said you went to college. What kind of help did you get in college for your autism?
1: You know, I don't think I ever got any help specific to autism. The only thing that's I good, got right? was, yeah, that's good. Um, I mean, I have high functioning. So in high school, I struggled a lot, but I didn't have any help in high school either. Um, high school was more pronounced for having challenges with autism because writing um, specifically English classes, I struggled a lot with writing essays to the point where I was like, you know, crying and stuff, like <laughs> trying to get through papers. <laughs> If he takes a feeling there, my mom's an English teacher. She can help you with that. I'm through it now. So I, I like to think I'm a much better writer now, like than, than your average Joe, because it was so hard and I had to grow so much. It wasn't something I ever, like any skills I have is something I don't take for granted. Yeah, I'd say that's where the hardship came. But in, in college, I didn't have any autism specific issues other than, you know. You're typical, you're not really, you know. You always, you. I think the autism-specific problems in college came more in the form of you're a star student, but you're also like a social outcast in a weird way, where everybody thinks you're talented and stuff, but um, nobody really bothers to get to know you for who you really are. It was how I felt in college a lot, and I, I, I always get bothered when people call me talented. Actually, as a result, because it's kind of like, well. Do you know that I started early working on game development stuff? Like, do you know that I struggle with stuff too? Like, do you know that you can be somebody who's just as good as me if you don't give up? I really hate it when somebody looks at like my skills and goes like, I'll never be that way because I feel like I've given that person an excuse to give up and I want them to grow instead. So, so I think that's, you know, I think those are kind of the struggles you deal with with autism. And and maybe like closer to adult situations, I guess. (laughs) Like when you're not, now you're dealing with learning a trade.
0: So you also mentioned that you have a humongous mentor named Richard Vandermeer. Why is is he so memorable to
1: you? And how do you remember him? He was memorable for so many reasons. So I had him in college. I'm not in contact with him anymore. I hope he's doing okay. But so, okay. So back in my tech school, I think he was the first person to acknowledge He's the person who built up my confidence in my skills in 3D work. He's the person to tell me, like, oh, you're badass at this stuff. <laughs> yeah. So there's this competition c- competition called Skills USA. It's basically a competition where you it's its purpose is to build up leadership, but I would like to, I think it's also, I get the strong impression it's also there for like technical skills to like encourage younger generation to learn technical skills, like becoming an electrician, um, engineering. I don't know if they have a plumbing competition, but <laughs> maybe HVAC, construction. Organic. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Tech school. Yeah, tech, tech school stuff. And one of them was 3D visualization. 3D visualization is a big industry. Uh, that's where you can make most of your money doing 3D work is in architecture and stuff. Not games, actually, but I'm still going to games anyway. Um, <laughs> So I participated in that. That was uh, a big focus of my tech school. And when I did like the trial run of the competition where they kind of figure out um, what students to pair up and what teams, um, basically the the class I was in, they took the two most talented students and paired them together. And I was one of the two. And Richard Vandermeer told us that we like, we kicked ass. I, I, I told my parents I wouldn't swear in here, but that's what I said. <laughs> and you're just calling someone so don't worry about yeah, it <laughs> and you know he was the person who was always there telling me I was really good at this stuff and I think he exposed me to the world of 3D animation like the industry helping me understand it better another reason he was so memorable is he actually modeled the Iron Man suit for Iron Man 1 and 2 <laughs> whoa um, he made the yes yes <laughs> Yes, he he had, he knew um he had met all the actors. Like he knew um Robert Downey Jr. He had worked with uh, the villain in the second movie. Um and sure enough, the, the the description of him matched up exactly to what my mom thought he was like based on interviews and stuff, like based on reading about him. Um he's very like a down to business man, like uh, very aggressive at getting a job done. The villain character. Um so yeah, he yeah, so. I think it was really exciting to be around him and he had like a lot of stories to tell. <laughs> yeah, I think he sounds like he did. He was the cool substitute teacher. Like hey. at that. Like, that, you know, that's the way to put it. When, when our normal teacher was out, he was the substitute teacher who like everybody, you know, you won't you wouldn't be learning that day. You'd just be sitting around him listening to stories. <laughs> um, <laughs> essentially. But, you know, he was part he was an important part of my education because he's the person who Instilled me confidence to just go crazy and work as hard as I possibly could to get good at this stuff. So,
0: that's good, man. That's really good. So, you said you talked about the Skills USA 3D Animation and Visualization National Competition. Um, So, you said you led your team. How did you lead your team at the
1: competition? Oh, uh, well, it's only a two person team. So, I don't know if I was the leader necessarily. maybe In, in any relationship you usually have like one person who's dominant and whenever two people want to be dominant then you have arguments I think I was the dominant person so it was me and this girl who was really like a really good artist and I was the person who dealt more with the technical end and okay so the for context in this competition you're given eight hours and you have to produce a um Like a 10 second or 15 second animation 3d animation based off of a prompt and the way it would work is usually this is why i would say i I was probably more dominant because i took the producer role where i would sit down and storyboard the whole thing with the lady and um i'd be the person setting up the 3d environment while she would like model the individual 3D objects that go on the scene, I'd put them all in as she went, and then I'd animate the whole thing. And of course, this is a weakness in our team, I think. I, I, she would end up like sitting around not doing much because during the animation phase, it's pretty common in projects I'm in to like end up taking over too much, like having having too much work fall on me. But that's the only way you could do it really, I think, with this composition, because you can only have one file open doing the animation. Yeah, you
0: only have one file open, so yeah. Oh, oh,
1: yeah. yeah, the way we made it work was she, she would do the 3D assets and make the place. <laughs> um, when I was done animating, I think what she would do is she would go through the, the whole scene and apply like materials and textures to the whole thing to add like colors, colors and texture to everything. Like, you know, and say, I think like a blank wall. Now it's like a blank wall with like boards everywhere. Like it's made of wood boards. So she increased the quality a ton when it, when it got into her hands. And then I think she was also the person who video edited it all together after I was done rendering out the pieces. So rendering, by the way, is you know exporting an image file, like a video file out of the 3D software. <laughs> and I think we honestly both led the team. You were ta- asking about how, how it led the team. I'd say like we both led it in that as soon as we were grouped up together and saw that we were both serious about the competition, we immediately, sat down and took some project management principles we had just learned on a field trip to a college uh, like a, a sample class and like discussed how we would work together and how each person how we'd be able to keep both of us working at the same time which is how we came up with our system so yeah that's how we led you know we we constantly look we took each round of the competition has an opportunity to improve our workflow.
0: Yeah, I understand. You just, you work together to get mm-hmm. that common goal. So I could totally relate and understand that loud and clear. So you also, I think, or you made um, Game Maker. So what is Game Maker? And is the Castle game on there, the Castle of Chaos, the most popular game? Or is there another popular game on there? And if you want to see oh, that,
1: one, uh, oh. Castle on the Coast is made in Unreal Engine 4. Which is what Fortnite is built from. So I'm definitely not the most popular person <laughs> in that community. No, Castle on the Coast is not a uh, it's not a popular game yet. But um, hopefully we'll be changing that. Um, We're and um, since now that the development side is done, game maker. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you about it. So, in game development, usually you have, you know, there's usually several pieces of software involved with building a game. But the core piece of software is the game engine. And so, Game Maker is a game engine. Unity is a game engine. And Unreal Engine 4 is a game engine. And it's basically it's a piece of software where you can put all the art assets in, all the sound files, and program a game and string it together. And what's exported out of that game engine. Is your game and some people use ones that exist already like Unreal Engine 4. Many uh big studios use it or they make their own. Many big studios make their own pieces of software. <laughs> so on the consumer end as a gamer, you won't always know what the game engine used was. So it's really yeah not not everybody I'd say gamers most of the time don't really care what game engine you use. So I'd say the communities would be comp- Prized of where you buy your games so that would be like steam have you made any games it, on there castle on the coast is the only one i've only made one shipped game in my career well i've made some ios games at, at an internship but they weren't really things i was like oh yeah this is like a thing i put out there <laughs> with my the sweat of my brow um yeah you should castle make a game coast. about
0: stairs i'm giving you an, an idea right now just make a game about stairs stairs
1: stairs, stairs stairs sounds like a physics-based game
0: (laughs) just go that that's that's something to give you stairs try to make a game with that i dare you (laughs) (laughs) so now out of these bullet points in the art of autism why Uh why why are the why you said about this information that you this was the career and personal advice you gave keep building your skills don't give up be a good follower and don't gossip about people why
1: are all four (laughs) of those important to you I wonder where my head was at when I wrote the gossip thing. I feel like I'm, I'm bad at that, actually. But I think I know what I was trying to say. No. Let's see. I think where my head was at at that time was I was in a workplace where people were. I, I noticed where there was, like, lines between pe- groups of people in my office. I noticed that, like, my co-workers were constantly analyzing my boss and saying things about him same things about other people in my workplace. And when I see those lines, all I see is conflict that doesn't need to happen. And I think also during my time in school, I would see teachers talk about each other. They'd use their, their status as a teacher, as a, as a sounding board to essentially draw, you know, draw war lines, I guess, with other teachers, like very political. And I didn't like what I saw there. I think that's why I said, don't gossip is don't create politics because they don't need to don't create politics that just don't need to happen in a workplace that's like meaningless
0: yeah enough controversy today i don't think we need any more
1: yeah and i say i'm bad at gossip because i feel like i came out of like my college experience kind of bitter and bittered like towards like there's, there's one teacher i really clashed with a lot and we sort of made up at the end but you know i, I think my bitterness bitterness was still there i, I felt like it was unresolved and every time i bring up my college experience i always like say like this was really hard for me like going through through this person's class and that's why i think i'm bad at gossiping because i haven't gotten over that yet and i think it's just kind of like we go through a hard thing it's just stuck in your head forever so <laughs> but um yeah don't make don't create politics i guess with gossip and don't, um, don't mix those up and what was the other thing i said like work hard and don't give up i, I said keep building your skills was another one I think having a te- like a technical skill of some kind, something that you know, we live in a world of scarcity. Like scarcity is the rule, and in order to get a job, you need to have something to offer that adds value to whoever your employer is. Or if you're even like an entrepreneur trying, like you're you're that type of person who likes to go out on a limb, you need to have something to offer the world to make money. My boss, well, I don't don't work at my advertising company anymore now, officially, but I'll still call my boss. My boss said um, that a company that makes money is a poor company. And what he meant by that was, if you don't creating value, you know, you won't make money. So just learn a skill. And it's really gratifying to learn a skill. I guess, like, I love learning more about game development. Um, I love putting myself in situations where I have to learn more and things get dull when I stop learning. So just keep learning. <laughs> just keep
0: learning. That's a good thing. I think yeah. learning is fun. And I think learning how the world, like, operates sometimes and how impactful it can and can't be is a uh, exciting thing sometimes.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of skills out there that are, I, I think if you were to make a list of professions you could pursue, I think you would tend to go like lawyer, doctor, engineer, and artist, maybe. And people always like fear away from the artist one. But the world is so much bigger than that. Like you don't need a college degree to to be successful in this world. And you don't have to pursue the intellectual stuff. If you're that type of person, go for it. But- um, If you're not, you're not. If you like working with your hands, there's- You know, you can make a lot of money being like, being in construction and like, you know, electrician, learning how to fix. Yeah, be electrician, just all those things. Like, just the world's huge, and there's like a lot of cool jobs out there that like they don't have enough people for. (laughs) So there is. You know, agree with that. Yeah, like that's kind of that's something that the guy who did like dirty jobs. I, I don't know his name, but um that's something he really pushes is technical trades. So learn, learn skills and you don't have to go to college to do that. College is expensive. We have this weird cultural expectation that you need to go to college, even if it puts you thousands of dollars in a debt. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) College isn't for everybody. Yeah. Like, you know, break the mold. You don't have, I'm not saying drop out of school, but. Oh yeah. I'm not saying that either. I would not say that either. make Make an informed decision. You may be able to just go to a tech school and be really happy with your life, you know? I can agree. Yeah. Follow your follow your passion. Ch- trying to say like, yeah, just go where your heart tells you to go. But, you know, I, th- I think you could be like too selfish at times. But like, you should be doing something you enjoy because you're probably made to do it. Like, yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah.
0: So now these are just for some questions, Peter. So okay, so what's your paradise meal?
1: And why is it your favorite or your
0: favorite food?
1: My favorite food? Yes, sir. Mm, I don't know. I'm just gonna give the generic one. It's pepperoni pizza because a pizza night is something I do look forward to. Hey, that's like, cool. A good what? A good pizza.
0: <laughs> you like Papa John's pepperoni pizza, or you like just like you like the Jacks? Like I'm just wondering, what what pepperoni pizza do you like out of everyone? Like Papa John's, Pizza Hut's pizza, pepperoni pizza, or store bought pepperoni pizza, or
1: I think there's a place called Ardo's back where I used to live. I just moved back to Grand Rapids. I, I lived in detroit the past three years uh, in a suburb rochester and there's a really good pizza place that my youth group leader bought from and that was like the best pizza i had in a long time i think it's called like ardo's or something oh.
0: <laughs> sounds really good
1: yeah sounds really um, good i'll have to try it sometime i'd say the big chains domino i, I really like Domino's and jets some pizza is kind of like it's it's like store-bought pizza doesn't really agree with me so
0: <laughs> i got gotcha. I hear yeah. you. Yeah. I don't agree with me either. So I can definitely relate. So, <laughs> so, what is your favorite movie or TV show and why do you like it?
1: All right. I'll give you one normal one and one really nerdy one. Go right um, ahead. The normal one is Psych. I love Psych because it's I mean, it's just a funny show. <laughs> it's a really funny show. And it manages, like, I think with most comedies, you end up with like a lot of like, sexual humorist or something like it's kind of like that's the only way the show knows how to be funny with psych it it felt like the show was just really funny because it was just really funny you know he had the he had the really smart characters who was messing with everybody and (laughs) and then my nerdy one is i really enjoyed watching sword art online growing up i really liked the first season of it and the first season of the of sword art online 2 the gun arc storyline and i think i really it's pretty personal why i liked that show but i'll just say this it's like oh first of all i think it was probably one of the first animes i watched i watched naruto a lot of people watch anime will know what that one is and sword art was the first anime i watched where it felt like it had definitive beginning and end and it went through it really fast the story really fast it didn't ever like diddle dally anywhere with the long fight it just went from bam 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 point to plot point and it was awesome and it also just showed like a relationship you know like a romantic relationship and just how powerful those are and um despite some aspects of the show being like sexualized I was still like just blown away by the fact that like it showed this romantic relationship in a really powerful way and it touched people I I think like that really touched people really hard. Like I remember reading a YouTube comment online once this guy talked about how he never kissed a girl because he was waiting for, you know, he was waiting for the one I was like, dang, like the show got some things wrong, but it was still so right. You know? Yeah. (laughs) Romantic relationships are really powerful. So yeah, Um, definitely.
0: They are powerful. And as a teenager, I could definitely relate to that. What has been your favorite vacation that you've ever taken? And why do you enjoy it? Why did you enjoy it very much? Or that specific vacation very much?
1: I'm not much of a vacation person. I'm always the home type of person who is first, first to just be on my computer making things.
0: Or a staycation um, guy.
1: Yeah, but let's let's think. Let's think.
0: think. You could do one from home, like a staycation at home that is... Uh,
1: no, no. I'm going to pick well. Disney World. I'm picking Disney World. <laughs> I'm picking Disney World because... You know, Disney World's always awesome. Yes, sir. (laughs) And I've gone there several times because my grandparents were very well to, like, they were entrepreneurs and very well to do. And they took me and my parents to Disney World several times. And um, I don't know how many times, it was like three times. And And we went to California. We probably went to California like twice, right? Like we went to the original Disneyland a long time ago when I was too young to remember. And then we went to California Adventure. I've got a Disney place five times, actually, which is crazy. Dang. I don't think everybody... Not many people could say that. <laughs>
0: the magic's there, man. The magic's That's, there 24-7, ain't it?
1: I think Disney World was the one... I probably just have more memories of Disney World because we went there more. But I think going there, you know, as a game developer, gives you, like, somebody it turns Gives into you a game ideas. Developer. Well, yeah, I kind of have a... I, you know it's disney world is a really good example of a place that will do anything to entertain the people there like they go to such great lengths that they even make sure you never see somebody pick up trash off the ground (laughs) and they don't they never show people changing trash out because they literally like lower the trash inside of trash cans into the floor and unload it there (laughs) Like go to that with those lengths. Um, you don't see the music park you goes to those lengths. Yeah, it's like you, know, you go, go to a bathroom, and the bathroom is themed around the area. It's, and like you go, it was like a tangled isn't really re- represented too much in Disney World, but they have like they have like a tower in the distance, and then they have a bathroom that's completely tangled themed. <laughs> so, wouldn't be surprised know, if I see they like a – like keep you in that fantasy world. And, yeah,
0: I wouldn't be surprised if I saw um, a um hey i'm doing the beast um style bathroom and at disney world <laughs>
1: it probably is there's like a whole restaurant themed after Beauty and the beast i never gone Actually, i'd like to go there it's like is it like, they had like a whole castle that in the i think they have like a whole like castle shaped thing where there's a restaurant based off gustav's i think the the place gustav like had his little song huh i'll so, look into that so if i got the name wrong <laughs>
0: Now, are there any good memories that you want to tell our viewers about? If you do, why do you remember that memory the most? Now, before you answer, I would like a good memory and a funny memory. Good memory and a funny memory. Oh, Oh,
1: do you want like one memory that's both good and funny?
0: Yeah, one memory. Okay. That can work. Or you can do two separate ones. It doesn't matter. Either way, I'm chill.
1: My funny one is growing up, I played with my brother a lot. We got along really well and we we had this whole like make-believe world we had going on where based off the toys we were playing with and the villain of our make-believe world was this uh bird it's not called a doll is it it's like a plushy bird and um, i think he's like the mascot of some like car place and we called him dr bird brain and dr bird brain i think as the guy who plays dr bird brain and he always had like his army of machines and stuff. And I think my brother was probably like the good guys. And I think the the troops are usually built or, like by Legos and stuff. Like we had all our Lego vehicles and these like epic battles that are like all make believe. And I, th- I always thought that was funny that we had this character named Dr. Bird.
0: <laughs> they should. That'd be a good villain. <laughs> Is, my question is Is the tower he poops all over the place or something? Because he could just fly and just have bird poop
1: fly down. I don't remember if he had any signature moves other than his name being Dr. Bird. <laughs> 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 I don't think he had any signature moves. Um, he should have, though.
0: He definitely uh, should
1: have. Now, what's the good memory? I don't know why this is hard to think of because I do have a lot of good memories. Yeah, here, here's where my indecisiveness is coming to play here take your time man yeah all i right. think i i think i liked hanging out with i had i grew up with really good friends um it's like three three friends i always hang out with so i think just the times when we had like a birthday party and we'd all play like super smash bros together that was those were always good times so yeah i'd say just parties like that were always fun sounds like a good time yeah they're really good friends so you know smash bros Smash Bros. is always fun. <laughs> Mario Smash Bros. for life, right? <laughs> but my favorite thing to do when I followed, uh, during college I had this thing where I always volunteered at the Game Developers Conference. Actually, and in, in, into my professional life too. And my favorite thing to do is this guy always brings his Nintendo system to to play Super Smash Bros. Like, all the volunteers will like play eight player smash and they're you know usually have a few people that are like really really good because they're all gamers so yeah definitely some people are like pro game some people are like actual i don't know if they're pro i don't know if they're considered pro like if they make them a, like a living off of it but they go to competitions they're competitive gamers so yeah, yeah
0: definitely it sounds like a good time a really good time
1: well I think that'll be all for us, Peter. Do you have anything you want to say before we leave? I, I, have, to plug, I have to plug my games. Um, so I got Castle on the Coast. You should check that out on itch.io. You can you can purchase it there. Um, itch.io, itch.io instead of .com. It's like spelled itch. It's on Steam. You can wishlist it on Steam. Uh, we haven't released yet officially. And also just check out my Twitter, uh, Peter Lance, like at Peter Lance Dev. If you want to follow um, my next project, Uh, which is temporarily called Air Current Version 2, where you glide around and grapple. It's a 3D platformer. So there, I plugged. That's what I wanted to say. (laughs) And thank you so much for having me, Sam. Of course.
0: Have a great day. (laughs) You too. for this episode. Please tune in for another episode coming very soon. Hope you enjoyed listening to me ramble. Thank you very much.